Good morning, church. It's good to be with you guys. Um, if you're new with us, we're continuing on in a, in a series of messages where we are just going through the Sermon on the Mount together. And we've, uh, we've been in the Beatitudes for a few weeks now. Um, last week, uh, we talked about blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And uh, it was quite uh, the, the fitting message uh, for our Easter as a church. The week before that, uh, we talked about blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And today, uh, we look at this beatitude, blessed are the meek, for, for they shall inherit the earth. So as we get into this today, you know, I was just thinking, you know, there are, there are moments that mark our lives. Moments um, where we can remember with uncanny clarity uh, the details of a particular situation. I have many moments in my life, like you guys do like this, uh, from my childhood all the way to, to present. Uh, and I started taking inventory this week about really the themes of some of those moments. And I found this thread that kind of began to stitch them all together. It was this theme in my life of being confronted with weakness, you know, a moment where where you not only feel like you're not enough, but it is reinforced and made true in your heart through a particular circumstance. You have moments like that, whether you'll tell me or not, and that's okay. We'll just agree on that, that we've all experienced that before. I'll, I'll just share a couple of those moments as we get going to, today, because this, this sermon has been very personal uh, to me. Uh, one was from middle school. I was the only kid out of my friend group to be cut from the middle school basketball team. Y'all know basketball, big part of my story. It's how I came to faith was a couple guys on my rec league basketball team led me to Jesus. But the narrative that I grabbed onto through that event um, was this. See, I told you, you'll never fit in. So I began to build my life on this vow, this, this pledge, this, this promise that I will never, ever, ever be that guy Again, and I've carried that mantle on and off since then in my own brokenness. Another was this: I was I was sitting for my ordination exam uh, as a as a newly minted Presbyterian, uh, uh, looking to get the official stamp. Right uh, about nine years ago, and uh, I, you know I was learning the ropes, and it just happened that I was being examined. This guy who is brand new to Presbyterian. Uh, ism, is being uh, or sitting in ordination with this guy who is a fourth generation Presbyterian guy that's also sitting for ordination. So we go into the meeting with the guys that are examining us, and they all know his father, his grandfather, and they're like, and who are you again? And I'm like, oh goodness, here we go. And so I, I, was, I was already a little bit on, on, on edge walking. I was a little nervous, a little unsure of myself, and I could feel my confidence starting to Wayne. And as they got around to examining my theology of the sacraments, you know, the Lord's table and baptism, I proceeded to fall flat on my face, stumbling over words, forgetting key passages of scriptures, and it was a mess. And, and honestly, so was I, because it was reinforcing my experience and recapitulating my experience of that middle school basket ball team. And on the way out of that meeting, one of the brothers looked at me and said, in his flesh, not in the spirit, you have no business planning a church. And I was crushed. 
that moment resurfaced all of that baggage. I'll never be that guy again. I'll show them. The vow resurfaced. And only this time it won't be with sports, it'll be with ministry. I want you to take inventory of your own life as I'm sharing a little bit of my story. You could insert your own situation and your own vows that you've made when faced with your weakness and confronted with your weakness too. But if you're anything like me, when you realize you're weak, when you realize you're not enough, there's this temptation to overfunction, to try to make things happen, to hotwire results. It's a place where you're always trying to overcompensate for apparent weakness. And this revealed weakness affects us spiritually too. It drives us, it either drives us deeper into ourselves or deeper into Jesus Christ. Those are the two places you can go when you wanna run from your weakness. So friends, here's our big idea for today. Jesus shows us a better way to be strong. Can you say that with me? Jesus shows us a better way to be strong. So how does he do this? He does this through the gift of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So let's, let's look up at our chart for the Beatitudes that we've been looking at, if we can pull that up, perfect. We've said that, listen, the whole Sermon on the Mount and all of Jesus' ministry is based on this idea of repentance, that we have to turn from ourselves and from our sins to Jesus, and we spend our entire lives doing that. It's not just a one-time thing. And what begins to happen when, when there's a repentance in the heart is the Lord breaks us, and he makes us poor in spirit. He makes us so needy and desperate for his grace. And this leads us to look at our sin and look at the sin of the world and mourn and grieve and lament the way things are, which leads us to this place of meekness, this place of, 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 of a, a poverty of spirit that is expressed toward the Lord and toward other people. It's a different way to be strong than the world provides for us. So what is meekness? Well, Matthew Henry wrote a whole book on it, so I'll just pull a line out of that because he's gonna have better words than me. Here's what he says meekness is. Meekness is calm confidence, settled assurance, and rest of the soul. Don't those sound like things we want? Yeah, absolutely. He says it is the tranquil stillness of a soul that is at rest in Christ. It is the place of peace, Meekness springs from a heart of humility, humility, radiating the fragrance of Christ. And so we're going to use this quote as a little bit of an outline for us to unpack what meekness is. So how does Jesus show us a better way to be strong? We see that the gospel sets us free by inviting us to live out of the strength of God instead of our own strength. And that's really good news for us today. So if you're a note taker, I'll, I'll share kind of the three kind of directions we're gonna go today. The, the, the three ways that we see Jesus freeing us up to live in his strength. The first one is this, is that we're free to hide in God, not from God. We're free to receive strength and we're free to empower others. So let's dig into that. Free to hide in God. This is that experiencing rest in the soul that Matthew Henry was talking about. So this idea of meekness is a mark of the behavior of Christians. The problem is, it hasn't been a mark of the church in a very long time, church. And, and, and for the most part, it isn't a part of, of, of 
being a mark of the behavior of Christians because the church is not at rest in Christ. We are grasping, we are angry, we are fearful, we are running as the capital C church in the world. And Jesus says this, blessed are the meek, blessed are those that are empowered and strengthened by God, for they shall inherit everything they're grasping after, and far more. It'll be a gift to them. So the meek person is blessed because they know how to receive grace, to live in the strength of God in the midst of chaos. More on this uh, in a second, on how to receive grace, but I think there's kind of a precondition in the soul to being able to receive grace. Something that has to happen inside of us to be able to be in a position where we can receive the grace of God and then extend the grace of God and empower others. And that's this, that if the gospel makes us poor in spirit, meaning you have a spirit that sees deep and desperate need of Jesus, then that leads us to mourn this sin and death in the world, then meekness is when the gospel begins to move into our behaviors and our postures toward others. But meekness is such a foreign posture in the world because the culture of the gospel has affected the behavior of the church so little. And this is what we're really going through in this sermon series is there's a certain culture, there's a certain atmosphere, there's a certain ecosystem that accompanies a gospel-faced church, right? And that's what we're going after as the people of God here. So when, when the presence of apparent weakness appears in our lives and we do everything that we can to get out of it instead of coming to Jesus and experiencing his strength, we, 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 we run toward constant self-promotion and grasping after things that we think that we need instead of experiencing the gift of meekness that is ours and his. And there's really only two ways to hide yourself, to hide from this weakness and to get this real strength. And, and only one of them gives you the real strength. We can, either, we can either hide from God or we can hide in God. And when I say hide, what I mean is this. As you answer this question, what do you run to when you realize you're weak? That's what you hide in. So think about the last time you felt like I'm not enough, I don't have what it takes, I can't overcome X, Y, and Z, my life is riddled with all of these things. What do you run to at that point? Because if we're not running to Jesus, we're running from Jesus, okay? And so, and, and here's the thing though, this, this has been the posture of the church since the fall, since sin entered into the world, hiding from God. And these are the, 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 the self-crafted ways that we've invented to try, to, to, to try and get life done without Jesus at the center. So listen to Genesis chapter 3, 7 through 11. I know we go to Genesis a lot. It's good. It's the beginning, right? We've got to go back to the beginning. So hiding from God. This is going to be familiar to you, but I want you to hear it with fresh ears and see it with fresh eyes. This is, this is what happens right after... Uh, Eve and Adam take the bait of sin, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and they're exposed. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. In other words, they knew in their core, something is wrong with me. I need to hide. So what do they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They had to cover up. And they heard the sound of the Lord, the God, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, just like any other day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Fig leaves. Who told you you were naked? Who told you that it was a problem to be vulnerable and connected to me, he's asking Adam. Who told you that you are, uh, that, that who you are and what you're doing is not enough? Who told you you'll never be good enough for the team? Who told you you have no business planning a church? Who told you those things, friends? Who told you those things? And so the Lord God calls out to us, he calls out to Adam and Eve, and he calls out to us and he says this this morning, where are you? Where are you in your hiding, in your pursuit of running from the Lord or to the Lord? Where are you in that? Where are you hiding? What are your fig leaves and what do you ultimately think they will give to you? Because if you trust in the fig leaves to cover you and hide your sin and your shame, and your fig leaves are really anything that you could create to kind of cover yourself and run from God, they're going to become a moving target for you. You're never going to get enough fig leaves. I mean, each and every day of our lives, we just realize that we're more naked than we were the day before, right? And we need more leaves. That's the rat race the world is running. The race to secure a bundle of fig leaves that'll be sufficient enough to cover our nakedness. But in Jesus, friends, we have another way to live. We have another way to be strong. We have another way to deal with weakness. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of the grace of our Lord Jesus, we get to hide in him instead of hiding from him. Listen to this passage from Colossians chapter three. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ... Seek these things that are above, not these fig leaves. Seek things that are above where Christ is. And he's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, not on fig leaves. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Jesus says the fig leaves are a dead man's game. Why are you playing it? And when we have the faith to hide ourselves in God through Christ, and it takes great faith, friends, to wholly lean on Jesus and not fig leaves, we let our defenses down and God gives us strength. And in that, we find out who we really are, not who we hope to become. The beauty of the gospel is this is that Jesus invites us to get away with him and realize that the fig leaves will always be fig leaves. And that he knows our weakness, he knows our vulnerability. It wasn't like he couldn't see Adam and Eve in the garden, right? I mean, we're like a three-year-old playing hide-and-go-seek behind the curtain. We can't hide from him. So what's it look like to confront this weakness? We do not have to fix our gaze on this world and attempt to stitch together a plan of redemption. It will never solve our weakness problem. If you've trusted in the life, in the death, in the burial, of resurrect, in the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus took the fig leaves to the grave with him, church. Amen? He took them to the grave. So why then do we try to attempt to resurrect them week in and week out? We 
We are now hidden in Christ. We are functionally hidden, hidden from the wrath of God, hidden from the shame and nakedness that we feel, and clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. That is your standing, Christian. And the greatest lie the devil ever told us is that we have to hide from God. The gospel is so much better news that we get to hide in God, that he is our hiding place. That when we believe this, we don't have to spend all of our energy managing our weakness in an attempt to find strength and a sense of rest begins to shape us instead. You know, not, not a sense of rest like a nap on the couch that you're gonna get this afternoon, right? Like, like a posture of rest. Do you know the difference? Like, like, the, like the difference is, is that this, this rest that he promises to us in the gospel, Hebrews 4 talks about this, the rest comes from experiencing the covering of Jesus. Trusting him in the midst of the weakness. So if you really believe this, how would the covering of Jesus and the restful spirit that follows lead you to live differently today? This is a real question. This isn't a hypothetical. What is one thing that you do, like it's a part of your rhythm, like your week in, week out kind of thing that you do, that you would put, this is in the securing fig leaves column of my life. This is, this is fig leaf procurement right here, okay? What, what is one thing that you do on a consistent basis that leads you to hide from God instead of in God? Now, d- don't just let that thought go out of your head. I want you to write that down. I want you to take your phone out, put it on a note in your phone, And if you don't know what that is, pray and ask the Lord to show you, because I'm sure he'll show you something if you ask him. You know, for me, the fig leaves that every pastor is tempted to stitch together is a buttoned-up life, okay? A buttoned-up life that, that makes me seem unapproachable from what you experience. And I've just said, listen... I don't care about a button-up life because the button-up, the people that were buttoned up in the Bible were the farthest away from Jesus. And so for us, for me as a pastor, I've said I'd rather be found out, I'd, I'd rather live found out than be found out. And so I've got a group of friends that I live found out with, and it's not always pretty. But those are the types of, those are the types of things that a life that is, that is hidden in Christ is willing to go after. And I want to beg you to do the same thing in whatever the fig leaf procurement category of your life is. So what would it mean for you to surrender to the covering of Jesus this morning instead of the covering of fig leaves? I want you to write it down and I want you to tell somebody about it this week, okay? It's that serious for us to be able to experience the strength of Jesus. So the second thing we see is this, is that, is that whenever we're secure in Christ, we're actually free to re- receive his strength instead of resist his strength. Because Because um, kind of what the religious posture leads us to is an independent life from God. It's a life of trying to scale to get to God, to be strong on our own, building our own towers of Babel. But what the gospel does is it turns that on its head. And it says you actually have to be weak and needy to be able to receive grace, to to inherit the earth, right? So so when when we stop trying to be our own version of strong in this world, then we're freed up to receive the real strength of God. Listen to the beatitude again. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's this tethered nature to what we're actually longing for. We're longing for this this fullness of life, this fullness of of inheriting the earth. And that's why we grasp after fig leaves, because we think it'll give give us that. So what's an inheritance? It is something that is received. It is not something that's earned. And that that it's something that's received that's of considerable value. So 
You know, when you're written into a will, written in to receive an inheritance, you don't go to the attorney when they're, you know, executing all that and you say, hey, let me, let me pay for that. Let me, let me kind of work through that. That's not what happens. You, you receive it. But so much of the time we spend our lives with this resistance to receiving anything from God. And it's the essence of the whole gospel is that we have to be able to receive grace. As we are not able to produce what we desire, it means we have to receive it. God knows that about us. That's why he says, you'll inherit the earth. We desire to receive the good things of this world, but we think that we can attain them by striving and grasping. And we find ourselves grasping, failing to be content in this life, and we're trying to build our lives on sinking sand. And it's just completely exhausting, isn't it? So what's happened for believers? Well, Jesus shares this beautiful metaphor in, in uh, Matthew chapter 12 as he's, as he's rebuking some group of guys, I'm sure. He says this. It was kind of a joke. You guys are kind of serious this morning. Am I too intense this morning? Is that what it is? All right. He says this. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. The strong man, the enemy, waltzed onto the scene carrying fig leaves for us, church, and he plundered our souls with them. But the stronger man, Jesus, came carrying the cross, and through the cross, church, Jesus has bound that strong man and all of his fig leaves in their power of our lives. And that's really, really good news. But how is it that we're to receive this strength that he promises us, this strength that Jesus gives us, this different kind of strength, this meek strength? It's the most counterintuitive thing imaginable. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, chapter, verse 28 through 30. He says this. Have you not known, have you, hello, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God? He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So what's Isaiah saying? God is not like us. Okay? Jesus, he is like us in every way, but he's also very much not like us. And that's what Isaiah is leaning into here. He gives power to the faint, that's us, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, this picture of, of power, this ability to escape. And they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So Isaiah calls us out, right? He calls out the humanity in us all. He says, even in the prime of our lives, we will be no match for the demands of this world, the demands of this life. Even in the prime of your physicality, you will get sick. You will be laid up in bed with weakness. Even in the prime of your career, you're still going to experience the thorns and the thistles of the painful part of our work in this world. We're still going to experience financial hardship. Standing on our own, we are no match. And this is great news for us because we all feel it. We all feel weak. And Isaiah says, yes, because you are. Quit trying to kid yourself. So what's the key to receiving the power of God that leads to meekness? It's this godly display of strength. What's the key? What do we have to do? We have to wait. 
We have to wait for it. You're like, oh, come on, man. I was taking notes until you said that. Wait? We have to wait for it. If there's any season in my life that has exposed my inability to wait on the Lord, it was the first three months of 2020. Anybody with me? I would characterize my attempts at waiting on the Lord as squirmish at best during the beginning of the pandemic. Inactivity is probably the greatest threat to the American lifestyle imaginable, isn't it? It threatens everything in us. Yet active rest, active waiting is where strength shows up is what Isaiah says. And it's always expressed through prayer. That's where active waiting on the Lord shows up is through our prayer life. And because we're so prone um, to, to uh, value activity, we are so uh, prone also to not pray. The two are actually uh, inextricably linked. And it's possible to be waiting but not waiting on the Lord, isn't it? It's possible to just be kind of aloof and just kind of have this posture of just um, resignation. That's not what waiting on the Lord is. That's not the type of waiting that Isaiah calls God's people to, the kind that where God applies strength that the best image he can think of is that we can mount up on like eagle's wings and, and, and overcome whatever's in front of us. So how do we wait? How is it that God has called you to wait for strength through meekness today? Sometimes he calls us to wait for light in the middle of darkness, doesn't he? Sometimes he calls us to wait for direction in the middle of confusion. Sometimes we're waiting for protection in the midst of danger. That was David's life, wasn't it, in the Psalms? Sometimes we're waiting for wisdom when life is just mystifying and bewildering to us. Sometimes we're waiting for comfort in the midst of sorrow, and all times we're waiting for strength in the midst of weakness. But the common thread of waiting on the Lord is spiritual presence with the Lord through prayer. It's the only way to actively wait and to stop grasping for fig leaves, to lift our eyes up to him who sees us. The problem with our squirmish activity is not that it's always sinful, it's just that our bar of seeking power and strength on our own is just far too low. It's like what C.S. Lewis shared uh, in one of his works where he, he's, like, he's like, the problem is not your desire. The problem is that your desire is just too weak, right? Like the problem is, is that you just settle for fig leaves too much. That's the, that's the real problem. And so we spend our lives trying to suppress desire when really we need to refocus and realign desire. That's the difference of the Christian life. It's not that we suppress desire. It's that, it's, that, um, it's that desire is directed and it's focused. I was reading uh, Acts chapter three with the kids at dinner this week. There, a couple of them are going on a mission trip and I was like, let's read through the, the book of Acts because it's a church planning trip. And it's this story of Peter and John healing this lame beggar. And so this guy in, in Acts three is, is literally being carried every single day uh, to the temple, outside the temple, because he can't go into the temple because he's a lame beggar. Um, and he's asking for alms. He's asking for offerings. He's panhandling and asking God's people to help assist him. And so he, he, uh, he, he asked Peter and John, you know, they're just freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter's just preached a killer sermon, 3,000 converts. I don't know what that's like. It was amazing. 
And then, and then, he, then they asked Peter, you know, Peter and John are probably glowing, you know, with God's presence at this point. And he asked, he asked Peter and John, hey, can, can, can I have some alms? And Peter, Peter said, hey, I've got no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, brother. Get up and walk and go into that temple. And, and I, the, you know, the man, I don't even think, if, if, if I'm that man, I don't even have a category for healing, right? I don't, even, I don't even think that that's a possibility. So he just asked for silver and gold. And I think this is often what we do in our Christian lives is that we settle for so little of God, so little of God's strength. And so we pray such little prayers in our waiting. But infinite joy is just around the corner for each and every one of God's people. If we would just learn to wait upon the Lord and experience the gift of this meekness, this quiet, settled strength and assurance. I mean, listen, listen to what the Lord desires to give to you in Isaiah 40, that you would have renewed strength like the strength of eagles. Eagles are the most powerful birds. I don't know that for sure, but it seems like it. It seems right. Some of you are like, oh, I studied biology. You're not. But work with me. Waiting and not growing faint. Strengthen our inner being through Christ. How might the Lord be leading you to wait for his strength instead of grasping with your strength during this season today, during a particular situation in your life today? And what would it mean for you to be actively present in the waiting, to wait the Lord's way, to receive the Lord's strength? What would that look like for you today? I want you to write that down too in your note. Tell somebody about that too. Lastly, we land the plane here. We're not only free to hide in God instead of from God. We're not only free to receive the actual strength of God through waiting on the Lord, but we're also called to empower others with the strength of God, to experience the calm confidence of expressing the strength of God toward others. So to be meek is not to be weak. If, so if meekness isn't weakness, what is it? This word at its root has an association with domesticated animals, specifically beasts of burden. Now, at first blush, I gotta, I gotta admit, the etymology of this word doesn't excite me too much, okay? I don't particularly aspire to be ox-like. <laughs> but when I think about it, an ox at the plow under the yoke is not weak, but an extraordinarily strong animal, isn't it? That's the association the word meekness relates to. The key, though, is that his power is harnessed and it is directed, it is focused. Perhaps meekness is strength that is submitted to an appropriate authority and then channeled in that direction. There is one character in the Bible other than Jesus that is described as the meekest person on the face of the planet. Do you know who it is? Moses. Moses, Numbers chapter 12, 3, actually says Moses was the meekest man on the planet at the time. So I want to share a quick example of what meekness, when it's multiplied, can look like in a community, okay? Moses, let me give you a little context here. Moses was spending time with his father-in-law, Jethro. What a great name. Um, and they were catching up, and Moses was, <laughs> Jethro hadn't heard about the deliverance. So, I mean, it was a great conversation, I'm sure. It was awesome. And Moses was testifying about deliverance from Egypt. 
and they were celebrating together. I mean, they took a whole day to do this, the Bible says. And the next day, Jethro enters into Moses' world. He's like, okay, I'm going to basically shadow you today, Moses. And uh, they're, in the, they're in the wilderness, and Moses is the intermediary between God and his people, which means his functional role at this time is he's constantly helping to give judgment to all the discrepancies in the community of Israel at the time. And they're out in the wilderness, and they're probably sitting under trees, and he's debating and weighing out cases, and he's, 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 he is the sole intermediary for the people of God and helping them live reconciled lives. And, uh, and this is where Jethro enters in to help disciple meekness into Moses' life because Numbers chapter 12, three comes after this situation. Moses, I don't know that Moses could have been described as the meekest man on the face of the earth at this point, but in Numbers 12, he could be. Listen to what Jethro does with Moses to disciple this attitude of meekness into him. Here's what uh, Exodus chapter 18, verses 17 through 23 says. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. Let me just be honest, okay? What you're doing is not good, Moses. Do we have friends that can say that to us? I hope we do. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You're blowing through your limits, Moses. You're not experiencing the strength of God. You're living in the strength of man. You're over-functioning, Moses. You are not able to do it alone, verse 18 says. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people. Experience the priesthood of all believers. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, and fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter that they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. That's God's design for us, church, is that we would experience weakness collectively and empower one another to experience the, 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 the strength that God gives through the Spirit. He says, if you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Jethro says, look, hey, you're living outside of your limits and everybody's suffering. I know you're the hero and you think everything's great because you're able to do so much, but everyone's suffering. I'm sure you're missing some judgments. You're not sleeping. You're not spending time with your family. There's all these people that could be equipped to be doing this ministry with you, but you're just hogging it all up, Moses. He says, you're trying to be strong on your own and this is not God's design for your life. That's true for us too. It's too heavy. Is there anything in your life right now that you're just carrying and you're just unwilling to say, it's just too heavy? You just, I mean, you're, you're struggling. You're like a guy that has a bench press bar on his chest that can't get off. He's like, no, I got this, bro, I got it. Is there anything in your life where that's you? You're just trapped under the bar. And you're just trying to push, thinking you'll have some fresh strength. What would it look like for you to admit, Lord, it's too heavy? It's too heavy to carry this on my own, Lord. I need your strength. I need your people. Sometimes this strength that the Lord promises us through meekness is strength to overcome. Sometimes it is. But more often than not, especially in the scriptures, it's strength to endure. That's the strength that he gives us. So what threatens this in you? 
What's keeping you from finding deep security in God today? And calling out the possibility of deep security for others through experiencing the strength of God. Let me just close by asking you this. What is it that you're trying to carry today in your own strength that, if you're honest, was never made for you to carry in the first place? The lie that we believe is that God needs us to be strong for him. And when we do that, we empty the cross of its power, don't we? The truth is, you and I are vessels of the Lord's strength. The truth is, God does his best work with nothing, doesn't he? The truth is, the more we think we have on our own, the less God works in our lives. While the less we think we have on our own, the more that he works in our lives. Our view of strength, especially as the American church, is distorted and it must be recreated as we become a people who are freed up to become nothing because Christ Jesus is all. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.